This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my partner in crime on the Punch Drunk Predictions, Patrick Shiviklinski, here to talk about UFC Rotterdam, which goes down on Sunday morning. So, some early morning face punching. You know, I'm a big fan. I know Pat's a big fan. Capped off by some heavyweights, Alistair Overeem and Andre Arlovsky in the main event. Antonio Bigfoot Silva and Stefan Struve setting the table for them. A card with some great prospects on it, some intriguing fights. One of those kind of under-the-radar fight-passy type shows, although this one is on television, that we kind of like on this podcast. We talk about a lot on on the site as being sort of those, those potential sleeper hits. Uh, we'll also get into some of the fight announcements of the week and sort of the reaction to some of those, um, including the UFC on Fox 20 main card that was announced a lot earlier this week. But, Patty, how are things? How's it it going? We haven't talked, and it's been, I mean, a little over a week since we talked. What's new and exciting? I know. I'm getting kind of anxious. I'm booking Irishman. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing Irishman on, and I'm looking to get Chapman back on the podcast because he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, those, those guys are all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, everything's good. I mean, everything's been going really well. I've been enjoying a nice uh, string of good weather here in Victoria and, you know, always uh, happy to talk fights. Yeah, it's mostly that I don't bring you on because I'm jealous that you are – living on the island and i'm not uh people ask me about it all the time oh do you miss victoria yes it's official (laughs) i miss victoria uh not that i don't like it here not that i'm not looking forward to moving into our house in a couple of months but there's just something about victoria thank you very much there's something about victoria it's it's just such a cool city um the island itself we had a friend over last week and we sort of laughed at you know, when when you live on Vancouver Island, the whole island becomes where you live, and you just sort of adopt adopt the like entire island as as your residence. And so there there are elements of that that I miss absolutely, and we'll have to get out there for a visit sometime soon. See some friends. You and I will need to hit Fernwood and and have a pint or seven. No doubt. <laughs> but let's get into it. Uh, main event this weekend, as I mentioned off the top, homecoming for Alistair Overeem fighting in Holland for the first time in six or seven years. Um, spoke to him earlier in the week, as uh, as is up on Province Sports right now, and will be in the paper when people hear this on Friday morning. So go and pick up a copy of that if you would like. Shout out to the advertisers, by the way, Eagle Ridge Chrysler, or Eagle Ridge, sorry, Chevy Buick GMC. Greatly appreciate it, guys. Uh, that column is in the paper. Just talking about this fight in general, because it's a weird one. Um, Alistair Overeem taking on Andre Arlovsky. Both guys represent Jackson Wink MMA. Teammates fighting isn't something that we get very often. Most of the time, it's something that, you know, camps frown upon and most fighters kind of shy away from. 
over him in talking to him this week and sort of in the build up to this entire fight is said, I don't have a problem with it. We're teammates, not friends. And, and this is sports. And I, I have no problem competing against a teammate because we all have the same goals, but it still feels weird. And, and before I sort of get into my side of it, I want to know if what you think about it from that side of it teammates fighting each other good bad something we need to see more or is this like just the potential of disaster for Overeem and his relationship with that gym yeah well I I think to me it's it's more so a case-by-case um kind of thing where you know there's guys who are really tight um have great relationships in the gym you know that that fall apart uh a la you know TJ Dillashaw, Uriah Faber, stuff like that. You know, I I, ne- I get the feeling in the lead up to this, and you know, maybe you can touch on this more. Um, that there's definitely no love lost between Overeem and Arlovsky. It doesn't seem like that they were, you know, the best of buddies going to Jackson's, um, you know, for for a while. And uh, Overeem is obviously a newer addition to that camp. Uh, Arlovsky's a guy who's been there for a while now. Um, so it, it is kind of a weird position to put, you know, um, you know, Greg Jackson and those guys in, but at the same time, I do think that, you know, Overeem understands the, the landscape of the heavyweight division right now and kind of knew that he was probably going to run into Arlovsky at some point. Um, so I think that in terms of these two guys, um, and, and their sort of fight, it, it still makes sense. Um, to have them kind of in the octagon because I really don't think that there's anything connecting the two outside of, you know, uh, them fighting, you know, outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico or, or you know, wherever they hail from. Um, but, yeah, they I think the the thing to remember with this is that Overeem has kind of been sort of a loner, you know, in, in, in um, you know, in the past we've seen him kind of bounce from gym to gym. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's finally getting, you know, a lot of, you know, good technique, uh, building and all that kind of stuff and sharpening his skills at Jackson's. I think it's a great spot for him, but at the same time, I really think he's one of those guys who's not about the team. He's more so about, um, himself and, and which in a sport like MMA, you kind of have to be. But I think that, you know, looking at the situation on the outside, I think Arlovsky still, you know, uh, Greg Jackson's kind of kind of guy. He's been there longer. You know, Overeem is there. He's definitely a, uh, a team member of that team. But I think he's coming in there knowing that, you know, there's there's going to be an opportunity here, and he's not going to squander that just because, you know, he wants to be buddy-buddies with Andre Olofsky. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird dichotomy, and, and you're right. They're not buddy-buddy. Both have said very much so. Um, in the build-up to this, we are teammates, we are not friends, we've heard from Greg Jackson that, you know, they don't really train together all that much. I've talked to Overeem in the past, since he's been there, and, you know, when you ask him about training partners and guys that he works with regularly, it's John Jones, it's Cody East, it's some of the other guys, but but never has it been Arlovsky, and I think that part of it is fine. The part, and I wrote this in my column, that kind of is weird to me is, you know, one of the things he said to me was it'd be nice to get this over with and get it behind us and get back to the normal routine at Jackson's. And my, my spidey senses went immediately because it's like, if you knock this dude out, I don't know that you could do that. Things just go back to normal. Like I don't, 
I mean, I've, listen, I'm not a fighter. I've never been in that dynamic in that gym. I understand that everybody's professional. And as you said, at, at times in this sport, there's a really weird dichotomy in MMA because it is a individual sport and there are moments where you need to be selfish but no one can get to the heights that they want to get to by themselves. You need coaches, you need sparring partners, you need guys to push you. And I think, as you said, we're seeing that in Overeem since he's gotten to Jackson's. He's changed up his approach. He's gotten much better in terms of his conditioning and kind of pacing himself and being a little more tactical. And I think a lot of that comes from from Greg and from Wink and from Brandon Gibson and the guys that he works with down there. And I just don't know if you can push to get this fight with Andre Arlovsky, which is something Arlovsky has said that, you know, this was a fight Alistair asked for because he wanted to be a part of this show. Understandably, it's the first UFC event in his home country of, of the Netherlands, and he's very excited about that. He's familiar with the arena. He's undefeated in the arena um, thus far in his career. But I just... it. It's one of those things that it feels weird to me because, as you said, Andre has been there for a long time. Greg Jackson is making the exception for this fight of cornering Andre. Normally, he will remove himself from it. Uh, we saw it in the George St. Pierre Carlos Condit fight. He just backed away and said, "I nothing to do with either of these guys in this particular fight. And I just, I'm not sure if it's something where, where you know, if one of them ends up out cold and their title hopes are dashed and their career is set back two or three fights can you just go and get back in the gym and be like hey man that was a great fight and still exist on opposite sides and there not be tension and resentment and things like that i mean we've seen it we haven't really seen it that many times in the ufc where where teammates have fought i know holly home was was originally scheduled and had the ufc had been pushing to get her booked with sarah kaufman they're training partners and very good friends i talked to sarah about it they talked a few times and just sort of said you know this is this is all that's on the table so we'll make the most of it i think the part that really kind of stands out for me is that overeem pushed for this this is what he wanted he's the one that's okay with it but that doesn't necessarily that sort of puts everyone else in the gym in a weird position where they have to just kind of accept that this is what's happening so I'm very, very interested to see what happens mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and then going forward and in that gym and just in terms of how everybody continues to to react because it's very rare that we see this. It's very rare that it's, you know, most fighters, you talk to them and they say only if there's a title on the line. Tyron Woodley, Robbie Lawler jumps to mind. They're looking like they're going to fight at UFC 201. And I've talked to Tyron about it a bunch. And he said, you know, we've we've all sat down as a group and said, the title's on the line. It's staying at ATT. It's going to stay in the family. We celebrate one way or the other. Robbie and I have talked about it. We're friends. We understand. We're going out there. That seems very different to me than this, where Overeem kind of, it feels like he's just said, I want to be on this card and my career takes precedence over everything else. And while you... And and like you said, you got to be selfish, but is, is that selfishness kind of coming at a price, I guess, is is my question, both for you and, and going forward as we kind of wait and see what the fallout of this is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting situation. Just And I mean, also, I think it, it is important to consider Overeem's past. You know, it's, it's hard not to. I mean, 
he's always been, um, you know, in my eyes, more of a lone wolf kind of guy. You know, he, he has bounced around from gym to gym in the past. And I think that, you know, if he goes into this fight and he gets knocked out cold, let's say by Arlovsky and Greg Jackson's in Arlovsky's corner, I think that, you know, given the, the history there, I don't know if we see our, um, you know, Overeem stick around with that gym uh, for for the longer term. For Arlovsky, I think it's a little bit different just because he has that history with the gym. He's he's been there for a while. He's one of the veteran guys in that team. Um, so you know, I think it's definitely different for both those guys. I think that you know, if Overeem comes in there and gets you know uh, smashed by Arlovsky, I think they'll they'll will be um, you know some temptation on his end maybe to say, listen, you know, I just got knocked out by by one of these heavyweights at, at the gym that I train in. I don't think I want to go back there. So um, we'll definitely have to see what happens. It'll be very interesting. But, I mean, I, I think I'm one of those guys that, you know, believes that Overeem is, is a very, very talented, talented fighter. But um, he definitely has this sort of thing where he's – in it for himself and that's very very clear he makes that overtly clear you know with some guys it's you know they're in it for themselves but they they play or they play with the team they kind of um they're able to sort of put that aside and be a part of the team for the time that they're in the camp i mean over him i think he he's doing all the right things and being a team player and stuff but there is this kind of like shadow of doubt that you know he is he is in it for himself and and he's not gonna just take, you know, a good opportunity off the table uh, just because his, you know, the guy he's fighting is wearing a Greg Jackson t-shirt. Yeah, he's not he's not ever going to pass up an opportunity to take a step forward um, based on team affiliation, I guess is the best way to put it. I do think he is more involved and more ingrained in the team at Jackson's than he was when he was with the Black Zillions, where that was very much felt like a hey, come and be a part of our up-and-coming team, and he trained on his own and brought in his own coaches and things like that. I know that he works with the guys at Jackson's as opposed to just having his own coaches come in. I mean, this weekend he's got Chad Smith and uh, Professor Tusa in his corner. Tusa was in John Jones's corner, so that is very much a Team Jackson Winklejohn guy that is that is over there with him. So it's just definitely going to be a weird sort of crazy thing to keep Keep an eye on on Sunday to see how the fight plays out and keep an eye on going forward to see how the situation as a whole resolves itself, I guess. Hopefully there's no problems and everybody gets back to normal and, you know, nothing changes and the winner continues to move forward. The loser picks up the pieces and and works with that group to, to get back on track. But there's a little part of me that just, depending on how this goes, I think it could be... Something we're talking about more in the future, but that's a future problem. That's a future podcast. For right now, you're listening to the Keyboard Kamora podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick Shivik-Linsky talking about UFC Fight Night 87 in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, on Sunday morning. Rather than running through the entire card and sort of breaking down every fight, because this is another one of those cards that's very heavily influenced with European fighters, uh, some prospects and some names that you know, casual fans may not be familiar with. And so rather than getting into, you know, the fine print of Nikita Nikita Krylov versus Francimar Bohos, uh, I thought we'd just pick a couple of fights that each of us are sort of looking out for and, 
and that have our interest that aren't the main event and that aren't the two heavyweight fights on the card. I'll let you go first because I know you got one with a guy that I'm very much interested in seeing. Yeah, and that guy is Chris Wade, Long Island uh, MMA Zone. Uh, he is fighting Rustam Habilov, uh on the prelims. Um, he's the main, I think, fight on that prelim on the main prelim uh, card there. So I think that's a fight that's going to be very interesting, and it'll give us a a good gauge of what you know we can expect from Chris Wade moving forward. He's impressed so far uh, in the UFC. He's four and zero. Had some very good wins. Uh, his last fight against Mehdi Baghdad, one of the guys from uh, from Tough there, um, had a really great performance. Choked him out um, in a, in under a round. Uh, very impressed with this guy. He's got great wrestling credentials. He's got um, a great mat game. Very strong for the division. Very strong guy. I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do against a guy who is, you know, Equally, if not stronger, we'll have to see in in, in Rustam Habilov, you know, who is coming off a, a bounce back uh, victory, you know, uh, against Norman Park. Uh, I think that this is an opportunity for him as well to sort of take the wind out of uh, a guy who's very much hyped up and kind of moving up the rankings uh, slowly but surely. So I think this is a good fight for both guys. I mean, if they win, it, it puts them in a good position for... For Chris Wade, I think specifically, this is a really great test because Habilov is one of those guys who is going to push him physically. Um, he's a very tough guy, kind of a grinder kind of guy as well when he needs to be. So I, I think he'll be you know, more than happy to uh, engage on the mat or engage against the fence, you know, get into a grappling, you know, grinding kind of situation. So we'll have to see what happens. And I mean, the interesting thing about Chris Wade, I, I don't think I was looking at his record beforehand and. He's never actually knocked a guy out in his whole career, in his professional career. It's always gone to decision and submissions. He's never finished a guy via KO or TKO. So it will be very interesting because Havilov seems to do quite well in those situations where, you know, the fight gets uh, a little, you know, grittier and, and he can sort of grind guys down. But at the same time, you know, Chris Wade is is a beast, and I think that uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting fight in Rotterdam. Yeah, it's a it's a very compelling matchup to me, and, and the funny thing is, in talking to Chris Wade a couple weeks ago, the story is up on Keyboard Kamara now, you can check it out if you're so inclined. He kind of wasn't all that Im- impressed and that excited about the switch. He was originally scheduled to face Rashid Magomedov uh, about two months out. Magomedov withdraws from the fight, citing an injury, um, as he said, we didn't hear any major, like there was no announcement of, oh, I blew out my knee and I have to have surgery. So it sort of threw him off as to why are you pulling out two months out. They give him Rustam Habilov, who is a very talented fighter, a guy that you remember was in the top 10 and, and main evented against Benson Henderson just two years ago, but has fallen off sharply and and sort of disappeared for a year following his, his loss to Adriano Martins. He then came back and fought Norman Park, as you mentioned. And for for Chris Wade, he sort of talked about it being like, you know, not not necessarily the same excitement level for him as the fight with Magomedov would have been because Magomedov is in the top 15. Habilov isn't. This maybe doesn't necessarily get him the profile increase. But to me, it's compelling for all the reasons you said. Habilov is a guy that we know what his strengths are. I think it plays 
well with it, it matches up well with what Chris Wade does. And for me, this then becomes the litmus test for the Long Islander, where we really get to find out okay, he's 4 0 in the UFC, he's won six straight overall, looks like a blue chip prospect and a guy that can maybe make some noise at the bottom half of that top 15. But these are the kind of fights you got to win. I'm not necessarily fussed about the never TKO in a guy. <laughs> the fact that he could grind dudes out, got a very good finish against Medi Baghdad last time, as you said, took a few more chances, which is something he's talked about in the past, sort of needing to let go a little bit and, and recognize some of those openings and, and attack them. But it, it really is one of those fights that I think if it happened a year ago, if this was sort of the Adriano Martins fight for Habilov, or maybe even the Norman Park fight, we're a little more excited about it. But because that shine is off of Habilov, who was the guy that, you know, you wanted to stay away from in the lightweight division just a couple short years ago, it doesn't necessarily carry the excitement and interest that I think it should and and that clearly you think it should because it's the one you're looking out for on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and it's it's one of those fights that I think will, will be very telling of where these guys are both at in their careers. I mean, um, for, for Wade, it's a big step up in competition. I mean, he might not be that, you know, excited, uh, um, to fight a guy like Habilov, but I think that, you know, despite all that Habilov has kind of, you know, kiltered down a little bit in his hype, he's still the guy, like you said, that, you know, two years ago fought Benson Henderson and, um, still one of these guys that is a tough guy in that lightweight division. So, I'm looking forward to it. Now let's hear your pick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my pick is another one of those sort of young guy on the rise, taking on a little bit more of an established name, getting a step up in competition. Uh, The welterweight belt between Albert Tumanov and Gunnar Nelson. To me, it just screams excitement. You can't see it, but I've got this giant grin on my face, and and I'm giddy like a schoolgirl over here. Um, Because Albert Tumanov is a dude that at 24, I think he has all the potential in the world to be a contender in the welterweight division for a long time to come. I think, you know, you you see that he lost his UFC debut in sort of a split decision where he a little hesitant throwing his hands, got taken down and kind of held against the fence a couple of times and just didn't really look comfortable. Since then, he's looked great. I liked his last performance against Lorenz Larkin. I liked the fact that he kind of gutted out that fight. If you remember, he was hobbling around because Larkin was hitting him with those low those low leg kicks that kind of tightened up his his calf and had him cramping up, but he still pushed forward and and was throwing hands as he does. Um, And I think in Gunnar Nelson, this is one of those guys, Gunny to me is similar to Havilov is in the Chris Wade fight. A guy that had a lot of hype, was climbing the divisional ladder, then kind of hit a stumbling block and, you know, lost to Rick Story in Sweden two years back, gets a victory, looks great against Brandon Thatch, and then goes out and gets big brothered for 15 minutes by Damian Maya. But it's Damian Maya, and suddenly we've all given up on Gunnar Nelson. I still think he's a hell of a talent. I think maybe he needs to fight at lightweight, but that's a conversation for another day. But he's still a, a phenomenal talent to me, and definitely a step up in competition for Tumanov. And so I want to see if this 24-year-old that I think, and a lot of people think, has championship potential and, and top-of-the-division potential can get through a crafty, experienced dude like Gunny Nelson. And I just think there's the potential for it to to end in many different funky, cool, exciting, memorable performance of the night kind of ways. 
Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you on that one. And it'll be interesting. I mean, Tumanov's nickname is Einstein, so we'll see how Smarty fights against a guy like Gunnar Nelson, whose game is is definitely based around, you know, um, his great grappling, really. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. And I think one of the concerns, I guess, that I have with uh, with Nelson is is I mean an over reliance on on his grappling in in some ways i know that's his strongest suit he's one of the best in the ufc at that he's he's one of the very best you know um on the mat for sure and and losing to damian maya that is like no shame in that at all but i do worry that you know against a more you know complete and overall guy even though a guy like Havloff might not be as skilled uh, in that one area. I think he's a more complete fighter overall and he might be, you know, physically um, stronger as well. So it's one of those things where, you know, I'd, I'd like to see, you know, uh, Gunnar Nelson maybe work on his, his striking more, but I know that it's really tough for a guy who's been sort of working in that uh, on his, on his jujitsu craft for so long to then, sort of switch into striking very seamlessly. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's not a thing a lot of guys can do if, you know, if really any that I can think of that come to mind very easily. But, um, you know, I think this is a, this is a big fight. I think more so for Gunnar Nelson. I mean, the, the pressure is on him a bit because he needs to come in here, I think, and, and have a good performance. So people, you know, can still be saying his name and he can sort of be relevant in that, in that welterweight division again. Um, you know, he's one of these guys who, like I said, I mean, when it gets to the mat, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole different thing. He looks like a world beater, but when he's kind of standing, he looks very average at times. I know he has, you know, worked on it a little bit. He has looked a little bit better in his recent fights, but I don't think it'll be enough against a guy like Albert Tumanoff. And, you know, it's one of those fights where it's going to be based on if Nelson can get him down to the ground and if he can do something there and keep him down. Because I think Tumanov's a very strong guy and I think he'll be able to get out of some of those tricky situations that Nelson puts him in. Yeah, I agree with you completely that this is an important fight for both guys. I mean, the the really interesting thing and kind of curious thing with Gunny is that before he went and became this jujitsu prodigy that we now know him as, and the guy that is a grappler first and foremost, he has a black belt in karate and and karate was his first martial art. We saw some of that in the Brandon Thatch fight where he planted him with a, with a right hand as Thatch came in, but you're right. We haven't seen sort of that, the confidence in his striking yet. I know he, you know, in his fight with George Santiago, they more or less threw hands a lot of the time and it looked kind of sloppy and, and not really, comfortable for Gunnar Nelson. Um, so that definitely is going to be something to watch out for. And, and as you said, a guy that, you know, had a lot of that potential, had a lot of that height coming with it, maybe some of that, you know, undue and kind of residual from being a part of that SBG Ireland crew and, and the affiliation with Conor McGregor. But another loss here and to, yes, it's to a top 15 guy, Albert Tumanov, currently ranked number 12 or 13 in the division, I believe, um, isn't necessarily the end of the world, but then you're looking at one in three in your last four fights, and that's where things start getting tricky for for Gunny. As for Tumanov, just one of those opportunities to to sort of take the next step, get a victory over a guy that we've talked about, that we have a familiarity with, a guy that has headlined events before. 
And so definitely something to watch out for and, and a fight that, like I said, could definitely end in any number of ways, be all kinds of fire and, and be something we're talking about on Monday morning and, and maybe even Tuesday too as we start to prep for UFC 198 in Brazil next weekend. It's a Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite, Patrick Shivik-Linsky. We've covered off most of Rotterdam. I mean, there's some other fights that are on there that I think are worth watching and, and some other guys to watch out for. Jokingly mentioned Nikita Krylov. I do think he's an interesting prospect. Your girl at the strawweight division, I'm going to let you pronounce her name because I will probably crush it. Yeah, Car- Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Yeah, you got you got to... Definitely look out for her. I'm excited to see what she's going to do against uh, Heather Joe Clark. That's uh, that's an interesting fight in that uh, women's strawweight division. And former flyweight title challenger Kyoji Horiguchi returning in the fight pass featured prelim against Neil Siri, who Pizzi and I joked about at the end of the show. Pizzi's best friend, um, a tough grizzly Irish veteran, a guy that's always a good fight. That should be entertaining. Um, also keep an eye on Josh Emmett, the latest Team Alpha Male product, making his UFC debut, taking the fight on, I think, four days notice and flying to Rotterdam to take on John Tuck. So a bunch of different stuff to keep an eye on. But before we close out the show, the last segment we wanted to get into, as I said off the top, is just talking about some of these different fights that were announced over the last few days, including on UFC Tonight, where Megan O'Leavy talked about some of the UFC on Fox 20 fights that are coming up in Chicago this summer. Before we get to the main event, one of them that has been officially confirmed, as far as I know, is a light heavyweight matchup that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago as a, oh God, yes, please bring on the violence. We're going to get Glover Teixeira and Anthony Johnson, and I'm very, very excited. I am so thankful uh, to whoever put that together. Whoever did the fight on that fight, I mean, just... It was a layup, honestly, as we saw it, but, but, you know, it's one of those fights that, you know, as an MMA fan, it's one of those that you dream about. Uh, those guys are going to bring pure violence to the table. Very excited to see what both guys can do. Glover Teixeira has had kind of a recent resurgence now, and he's looked as good as he's ever looked, I think. And, uh, you know, we all know what Rumble Johnson can do. So I'm just, I, I get goosebumps, man. I'm, I'm over here shaking a bit. <laughs> I do think it potentially burns a title contender in the light heavyweight division should Glover Teixeira win because he has already fought John Jones. Of course, that's on the assumption that John Jones beats Daniel, Daniel Cormier when they fight again. But I do think, as you said, it's kind of a layup. You don't necessarily want Anthony Johnson sitting out that long. There's no one else that really makes sense for either of these guys. So sometimes you just, you work your way into a position where you have to make this fight. Another one announced for that card, Edson Barbosa, looking to get another former champion on his resume, going to take on Gilbert Melendez when he comes back from his suspension. But the one that we really wanted to dive into is the proposed main event. It's not official yet, but it is being talked about. And that's Holly Holm versus Valentina Shevchenko. I yesterday saw a lot of just absolute dislike, displeasure, uh, frustration, disappointment with this fight and posed an, an honest to goodness question and tweet and tweeted it out as such and said, honestly asking, because I didn't want people to think I was just being a troll and being snarky. But I don't see what the problem is with this fight. Like if you look at the women's bantamweight division 
Everybody is booked. Um, Nisha Tate's defending her title. Ronda Rousey's not back yet. Katzingano's got a fight. Amanda Nunez is fighting Misha Tate for the title. Juliana Pena is Kat's dance partner. Six and seven, Sarah McMahon and Jessica I, they're fighting each other. So your options for Holly Holm, who I know wants to stay active and get back in the cage, are Liz Carmouche, Bullet Shevchenko, and then you're into Rocky Pennington, who she's already fought. So I don't see the problem with this. I think it's I think it's a good fight to make. I think it's the right fight to make at this point, given where the division is at and that Liz Carmouche has been off for a great deal of time. Am I crazy? Am I am I too much of a of a fan of this fight? Or do you do you agree with me and understand the the confusion I felt yesterday at the backlash towards this fight? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I, I tend to think that you know, for for Holly, if you hear you know how she's been talking in interviews and and whatnot. It's pretty clear that she wants to stay active, and that is the I think the key thing to understand in this in this fight particularly is that she wants a fight and she wants to fight you know sooner than than later. So I think given the the outlook, like you said, of that division, uh, everyone is tied up, and you know uh, Shevchenko is coming off a loss to Amanda Nunes, who is facing Misha now for the title. Um, you know, Holly lost to Misha at UFC 196. Shevchenko lost to Nunez at UFC 196. It makes sense <laughs> from that perspective to me. Um, you know, and it's a good fight for Holly to sort of get back right in there. I I don't see the, you know, I, I don't see what all the hate's about. Um, I guess, you know, they, they wanted to see, you know, Holly fight and, you know, an absent Ronda Rousey. Like, I, I don't know what you're going to do at this point, you know. Well, and that's the thing for me, like, like I saw some of the, and I think I got a response from someone who said, just kind of listed off four people that he would rather have seen Holly fight. And it was Rhonda, Misha, Kat, or Nunez. And I was like, well, they're all busy. Like my, my answer to you is that they're all booked. Like we can only operate in a world that we're in right now. Like within the parameters of reality as they are right now, like same as kind of the the constant, well, if the UFC would just shorten their schedule and remove some events, then we'd have more fighters when guys get injured. Well, that's not what's going to happen, so you need another solution. Yes, I would love to see Holly Holm fight Ronda Rousey or Misha Tate or Kat Zingano or any number of people, but they're all booked and those aren't options. So this, to me, is the best fight. I was at UFC 196, Valentina Shevchenko, Won the third round against Amanda Nunez. I think if it was a five-round fight, she wins that fight. I don't think this is an absolute layup for Holly Holm. I think that's part of the backlash is that, you know, people are viewing this as former champion versus this woman. And it's just because they're not familiar with who Valentina Shevchenko is because she's had two fights and her debut was on 10 days notice. But her debut was on 10 days notice and she beat Sarah Kaufman, who is a former champion of this division while it was in strike force not the ufc but a very talented fighter nonetheless and then she went out and looked good late in a fight against somebody that's challenging for the title so i don't see a problem with it one of the other objections and i wanted to get your opinion on this is that it's just not a fight that should be the main event and i can maybe understand that from a standpoint of shevchenko is it a draw but to me this is a hundred percent about holly Holm. She gained so much attention and so much acclaim for beating Ronda Rousey 
that to then sticker behind one or two fights on Fox or on a pay-per-view card somewhere feels like a misstep when it comes to trying to capitalize on this. So for me, I love the fact that you're putting her on the main event of a Fox show where she can be out there for all the people that know her as the woman that beat Ronda Rousey can tune in to see and you can cash in on that current continuing wave of popularity. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can't have a redemption story when nobody's watching, <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, the I have no problem with Holly being, you know, if in fact she's going to be the main event of this card, um, I have no problem with that. I think that she has done enough to merit that position. She's still a very popular fighter, and that win over Ronda Rousey is still, you know, relatively fresh in people's mind, even though she lost to Misha Tate, I think a lot of the mainstream fans still remember her. I mean, most of the mainstream fans still remember her for beating Ronda and making it look easy. So I think that, you know, if you want to build her up and you want to promote her the right way, I think giving her that slot makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you could go the Rumble Glover route and make that the main event. But I think that... I don't think you need five rounds for that fight. I think that's the other part of the consideration. (laughs) I like I legitimately think that's part of it too is that yeah. you know they look at it and go okay well this one is most likely going to end at some point inside 3 cuz these dudes are just going to chuck bungalows at each other and one of them's going to fall over whereas I actually think this is a more interesting fight because it is 5 rounds because I saw Shevchenko take some of the best shots that Amanda Nunez could offer and be there in her face over the final 5 minutes and be getting stronger and have the stamina to go with her. I just think it it makes more sense in so many different ways rather than kind of pulling them back. And the other weird thing to me is that we've been talking for years now about the UFC needing to do more to promote the women's divisions beyond just Ronda Rousey. And here they are moving forward without Ronda Rousey and people are like, yeah, well, that's not enough and that shouldn't be amazing. It's like you can't... It's another one of those, like I'm literally at a loss for words and I'm trying to make sure I don't swear violently or get too worked up about it. But it's another one of those goddamn situations where fans seem to just want to complain about stuff. And it means I may need to like just go through and mute a bunch of people on Twitter because it seems like it's the same people and it seems like they're literally complaining for the sake of complaining. Like there has to be something negative to them in the MMA space because being excited or positive or even neutral about stuff just isn't enough anymore. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, to me, (laughs) Holly has earned her stripes. She's earned this position. I, I think that if you're questioning why she's the main event, then you probably are not watching regularly enough, you know, or, or watching at all. I mean, th- this makes a lot of sense. It, it's one of those things where you have a very, very talented fighter in Holly Holm, and she will be back in that championship picture in no time. You know, I think she will. So why not give her that promotion? Give her that backing on Fox. Give her that stage. Let people see her. Put her on the countdown show. Do all this stuff. I think that's the way you need to do it. And I think the UFC, if they go through with putting her on the main event, are doing the right thing. Uh, this is a this is one of those fights. It, uh, like you said, I think it's um, a more competitive fight than people are giving it credit for as well. Um, maybe just because they haven't heard of Shevchenko a whole lot. She's only had two UFC fights. 
I think, you know, like you said, it's just people complaining for the sake of complaining because, you know, they can and Twitter is awful sometimes. <laughs> I think it's also good to get her out there as a former champion and as a contender. You kind of want to fight around the same time as the champion. So Misha Tate and Amanda Nunez fighting at UFC 200 two weeks earlier. This gets Holly and, and keeps Holly on that same kind of timetable so that if, you know, come away from it healthy can be ready to go whenever that next championship fight is booked, whether it is Ronda, whether she gets the next opportunity, or whether she's just kind of staying in line and getting something else booked in that time frame to maybe be a replacement if need be. It just makes all, all the pros of it and all the positives of it far outweigh all the negatives to me. And, and as you said, sometimes Twitter, and as I've said on here before, sometimes Twitter is the best bad invention in the history of mankind. <laughs> Before we wrap up, before we just get out of here, we will be back early next week, kind of recapping UFC Rotterdam a little bit, but mostly looking forward to UFC 198, which is just an absolutely stacked card in Curitiba, Brazil. We will have a ton of stuff coming up on that. I know you talked to Shogun Hua not too long ago. I've got a couple interviews next week with some of the guys on that card. We're into the we're into a really great stretch. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at a 13 of excitement for the next two months. What about you? Oh, yeah. Count me, you know, <laughs> put me down for 13 as well. Um, I think that, you know, the, the string of events, you got UFC 198 with stack just full of Brazilian legends and guys who, you know, are, are in interesting matchups. Oh man, like the, the the number of interesting matchups on that fight, and I know we'll get to it next week. Uh, it's just uh, next some next level stuff. Um, I'm really excited to see what you know what that card has to offer. 199. I mean, you got you got Rockhold Weidman, and, and then you got you know Cruz Faber three. I mean, what? And then all <laughs> the way up to UFC 200. It's all looking like fireworks from here on out. So I'm stoked, and I know you're probably stoked right there with me. Just a whole lot of greatness, not a lot to complain about. And and sort of as we said with, with these UFC on Fox 20 announcements, if you're complaining, it's probably just because you like to complain. I think that's a good point to end it on. Patty, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on. People, you can follow him on Twitter at Pat Shviklinski, which is C W I K. L-I-N-S-K-I. You can follow me at Spencer Kite. Follow the blog at Keyboard Kimura. Happy seventh birthday to Keyboard Kimura. A couple of days ago, my little baby's all grown up. It is seven <laughs> years old now, which means I've been married for seven years. Happy anniversary again to my wife. Thank you for letting me continue to do this. Thank you to everybody at the province. Thank you for you guys for listening. Shouts to Eagle Ridge, Chevy, Buick, GMC for being fabulous people. And we will check you out early next week, recapping UFC Rotterdam, setting the table for UFC 198 in Curitiba, Brazil. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the fights. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura. Kimura.